Our company motto is hustle like you're broke. And everybody that works at Smack, I always say to their own entrepreneur in their own right, I was anxious back then and I'm anxious today. I mean, whoever thought there'd be a global pandemic coming, right? Where outside of Michael being on Good Morning America, where the news was nonstop, every facet of our business shut down. I had 14 employees and we were just like, oh my God, what do we do? We made it. We didn't get paid and make sure, I call them all my kids, to make sure that the kids got paid. We didn't follow anybody. We didn't pay cut anybody. It was like, we're going to get through this. So it's just, you never stop. But I think for any entrepreneur that's listening and trying to figure out, surround yourself with a great team of advisors, whether it's your accountant and business managers, a lawyer. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Constance Schwartz-Morini is a partner and the co-founder of Smack Entertainment, short for Sports Media and Culture. It's a talent management, music, business development, and production company that she launched in 2010, along with Michael Strahan. She produces ABC's $100,000 Pyramid and has produced a highly rated Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Sports Awards for the past five years. She's also a partner of Where by Aaron Andrews and MSX by Michael Strahan. Of course, myself growing up basically in Yonkers, right near where Constance grew up, I had to ask her about what it was like growing up there and not only about what it was like cruising movie land for all you people from Yonkers listening who will definitely get that inside joke. It was awesome. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on the pod. I'm a huge fan. And for Yonkers, I drive straight here and crazy and meet somebody from Yonkers so he'll watch this. And so it's, you got to do Y-O for life. So remember <laughs> that from now on. He's always like rolling his eyes whenever I meet another Yonkers person. But I don't know, similar to, to your growing up there, it, blue collar kid, my dad worked for the transit authority and everybody that I'm still close to, a lot of people ended up in the union and, and things like that. My mom owned a flower shop, which those flowers got me through college. But for me, it was the best place to grow up because we were so close to New York City, but we still were in a neighborhood. We'd leave the house, go ride the bikes, drink out of the garden hose, come home with sunset. And if you were going back and forth to your friend's house, it was like, I'm home, you know, just screaming up the street. So so much fun. And the fact that at 16, 15 years old, we get to come into the city to go to the concerts. And obviously, you know, I'm supposed to say the museums and all that, but that was, <laughs> those were the school trips. For me, it was like so uh, much fun. Being you're from to, Yonkers. So, you know, you get no, it. No, none of us uh, were going to museums, but anyway. <laughs> Not by choice, right? But it was awesome because without realizing it, I think it's what started like the hustle, like you broke mentality because. I wasn't from Scarsdale. I was from Yonkers. You know, I went to SUNY Oswego. I didn't go to Syracuse. And it was just always sort of that shadow that you would live in. And I was like, I'm not going to be defined by the fact that I didn't have the born with the silver spoon and I, I didn't go to the best colleges. It all worked out for me. And I'm super happy of how everything went down for me and I wouldn't change anything. And best friends I have to this day are you know, the people I grew up with as well as who I went to college with. Yes. And I will have to clarify because I am technically from Edgemont, although I'm on the borderline 
and it could be considered Scarsdale. It could be considered Yonkers. I will tell you, though, growing up with my father, who grew up in the Bronx, my house was all South Bronx. So I got that mentality. And like you, he was like your mother and how you talked about her and and being such an influence. My father also didn't come from anything. And just I saw him work hard every day and hustle and build a business, which was incredible. But it sounds like your mom played a major influence in your life and who you've become today. Can you talk a little bit more about her and that relationship? Yeah, she's still alive. She's 97 and a half, super healthy, super with it. Awesome. I mean, her only challenge is just hearing, which is a bummer when you're just so sharp because you don't like going out and not hearing anything. But my mom is a, uh, a Greek Southern belle. She grew up in Charlotte, 100% Greek. And here she meets Morty Schwartz from the Bronx, which she was visiting her sister. And I'm the result of it. So I always say you can dump me in any situation and I can adapt to it. And growing up, she just... And it's funny because I never thought of her as an entrepreneur until you just said that with the whole flower shop hustle. But you're a thousand percent right. And my dad, free war veteran, and ended up developing mental illnesses from that that just really impacted our lives growing up. And so at 14, he had one of his major, major episodes and left. And she was just like, we got this. And it just, when I try to instill this in young people, especially, life's about choices and you can choose to be the victim or you could choose to take what life has given you and just beat it, learn from it and put that battery in your back and go. And, and that's what it was for the both of us. She was just like, we got this. And I ended up uh, going to Sacred Heart High School in Yonkers. And my senior year was going to be all AP classes. And I just said to her, why should you work so hard to pay for this senior year? If I can get into college now, I'll do it. And so it even started back then. And, and she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, let's, let's like we were partners. And she was my best friend, um, had me very late in life, older mom. She tells this funny story that the nurses changed her age on my birth certificates. They said, you don't want your daughter being known as the kid with the older mom. And she was like, I didn't even think of that. But she was like, okay. And so it wasn't until she turned 90 that we finally started telling people how old she was because she doesn't look at her or act it. And so I go opposite. I'm like, be proud of it. I mean, same here now. I'm 50 fucking four. Like it is what it is. Take it. This is the oldest and youngest you're going to be at this time, right? So just go for it every day. And and that's how we've lived our lives. And she was this one of five kids. She's the only one left. And they were very, very Greek. You know, she's like the kids of immigrants. And so, but she was, I guess, the, the chosen one. She was the first Greek girl to go away to college in Charlotte, North Carolina, which sounds like what? But in the 1940s, it's a pretty big deal. And I think even her godparents who lived in New York City asked my parents if she could stay with them for a summer. And my grandparents were like, we have so many kids. It's the depression, like take her. So she lived in New York City for like a year up here on the Upper West Side. And so she just has so many great experiences. I bought her a little um, recorder and I'm like, start recording everything. She hasn't quite figured that out, but she's writing it all down. And she always said, she's like, I was born like 50 years ahead of my time because I, I, she would have been like a CEO of something. And I'm like, well, you're the CEO of me. I said, if it weren't for you, I probably wouldn't have the success that I'm having. Isn't that amazing when you think about it because she sounds like such an incredible woman and the fact that because 
during that time, uh, you know, my mother has passed away, but would be about the same age or close to it, never even had the opportunity to go to college, right? And how smart she was. And you ever, for what you've accomplished, what you've done, does that ever feel to you, I mean, some sadness, but also some way where it makes you feel great to show her like, or she could feel good, like, this was you, I am you? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the main reasons why we have such a solid relationship. And and don't get me wrong. I was a tough teenager on her. She used to tell me that I didn't ask for approval. I asked her opinion of (laughs) things. But you know, when you were getting straight A's in school, it it sort of gave you the the leeway to say, well, I mean, I'm going out. I'm, I'm doing this. But she did her best. And because of that, I am where I am and I'm able to give back to her. And I think that's the circle for us. Because in the beginning, look, she's outlived her money. You know, I'm not giving away family secrets. She did what she could do. I mean, she did great. And when you own your own business, like a flower shop, it's not like you've got annuities coming in. You know, once that's gone, it's gone. And the fact that my husband and I are in a position to take care of her now is my biggest joy. And it took her a minute, but now she just is always like, okay, you know, I said, mom, it's because of how you raised me that I can do these things for you. And she says I'm her gift from God. And most of the time probably, but (laughs) I try. I try to live up to that. You forgot the teenage years. I only say that because I got two teenage daughters, but... (laughs) It'll get better. (laughs) In any case, let's talk about your start. And you didn't become this entrepreneur or really super successful entrepreneur overnight. You actually, I think, and tell me if I'm right, but one of your first jobs and and what you did after graduation was work at the NFL. And especially when we go back to that time, we're about the same age, you know, it's just, it was a very different world than it is today. But what was that like? And getting a job at the NFL was like impossible, but just what was that experience like at that time? Sorry for the guest appearance by my dog. He just jumped in my lap. That was what that fur was. <laughs> He's got to cuddle up. So in 1990-91, there's no internet. And I know a lot of your listeners are like, what is she even talking about? And we would get the New York Times and with a pencil and circle potential jobs that we thought were of interest and we could get. And I signed up with an employment agency, Kevin McGinn. I remember him because his sister worked at the NFL. And I just went in. I had a marketing degree, but I had no office experience. So he said, told me about the NFL. I was like, that's where I belong. And he said, that's great, but you need to learn how to type. I said, okay. So I took another job where I basically just learned office experience. And about seven or eight months after, and I called him back. So I got this, get me in there. And there was an assistant position in corporate sponsorship open. So I went to the library, which I don't even know exists anymore. And I a, <laughs> no, <laughs> you can't and Google I it. <laughs> you can't. I couldn't Google anything. And uh, I went to the Dun & Bradstreet computer that was there. And just looked up NFL properties and learned everything I could about them. And then when I went into the human resources exec, I was rattling some stats off. He's like, wait a minute, you're here for an assistant position? I was like, yes. He said, there's no assistant that's ever come in with this. I was like, well, then hire me right now. And and so I ended up getting the job, worked for two great bosses out of the gate. I just actually had drinks with Maureen Rosen, who I 
still in touch with who I just credit everything to her. And again, an assistant, which I was reminded of quite often by many people that I don't talk to anymore. And the ones that just offered me the rope to just go learn. And I did. I mean, Commissioner Don Garbo was one of my bosses, you know, Major League Soccer and worked with so many fantastic people there. And I'm still in touch with a lot of folks. And I was there for a decade and just worked in corporate sponsorship and special events and live events, television events, mini camps for kids. I ended up working on the NFL experience the second year it was, you know, created. The tailgate party was one of the last few things I did there was overseeing that and then started on the production side of things, working on the Lyman Challenge and Battle of the Gridiron and NFL Under the Helmet, which is where the whole music corporation started and was booking everything but the halftime show. So I'd reach out to new artists that were on the come up, like the Backstreet Boys performed for us at the international bowls we had in Canada and had NSYNC at the Pro Bowl before. And these are all groups before they would pop. So then when they made it, they'd remember and they'd, they'd come back. I mean, Hootie and the Blowfish did the tailgate party in 19, like late 90s for tailgate tickets and super, I mean, for Super Bowl tickets and paying all their expenses and coming and have a great time with us. So it really was setting me up for the next 20 years without me even realizing it. Yeah, it's interesting. Just personally having a background in in experiential and being in that business and Super Bowl being our big driver when I had my first business of creating those packages and experiences. And and it's really amazing to see what you started, what you created there and what it became. Because I remember initially it was like, you had the Super Bowl, you had the commissioner's ball. Mm-hmm. And then it just, you guys really... I guess Jim Steig, right? And yeah. some folks there, Dave, David Winograd, and obviously, but yourself really seemed to be focused smartly on the talent you were bringing in and people. Did that experience, like you said, is that what led later on to you really getting involved on your own as an entrepreneur? in the business of managing music talent and other talent? A thousand percent. I I always say that was the best 10 years of training I could have asked for. There's no MBA. There's no school that would have taught me what I learned there. And also some of the names you were rattling off. I mean, I could keep going on and on. The network that we have together to this day is so unbelievable. I mean, everybody takes each other's phone calls still doing business with so many people and I still do a lot of business with the league office. And it just, it goes back to just so many of like the core values that we were taught in Yonkers, which is like, don't burn bridges, treat each other with respect and kindness. And here it is 25 years later, someone will call me or I'll call them. And and it's like, what can I do? What do you need? And it's just some of the brightest, brightest people there. And if you look at where a lot of the folks went on to other businesses, they've all just crushed it or they are crushing it. Um, So yeah, it's really amazing uh, just going back and thinking of some of those folks now and, and, and where they are and where you are. And that's what I want to talk about. What prompted you and what was the decision? Because you were at the NFL, how many years did you? A decade. Mm-hmm. So you're there a decade. And what happens? What's the next step? How come a lot of these people at the NFL, they don't leave, but... There's others that leave and go on to incredible things and especially leave and become this entrepreneur. So what was the reasoning or the impetus to walk away? 
I would say it was because of all the music which you touched upon I was doing, I got an offer to go work at Arista Records because I was working a lot in the music business, which was so different back then. And it was to bring me in to oversee strategic marketing and brand partnerships. You know, we used to joke about OPM, other people's money. But I was probably five years too early. Um, the artists weren't quite ready for it and understood it. So I was there for almost a year under Ellie Reed and, and Jerry Blair. And it was a phenomenal time. Some of my closest friends I met there today. But it just wasn't... Especially, you, you mentioned it before, the NFL couldn't be more corporate. So for <laughs> me to go from this corporate environment to a record label in the early 2000s, I was oh like, my God. this just isn't for me. And I had met Jeff Quantnitz and all the folks at the firm, which if you remember the firm in the early sure. 2000s, no one bigger, better, you can touch it. And they'd been offering me a job, but I couldn't leave the NFL in New York to go to LA. I was like, I believe New York City. There's no version of moving to LA. So it was a great like, kind of stepping stone to go to Arista and then say, all right, now I'm ready to go to LA, which I did. And that was unfortunately right after 9-11, which was one of, I think, the factors in me moving because it was just sort of like life is so uncertain and so short. Just take a chance. And that was December 2001. And went to work at the firm. Again, brand partnership, sports marketing, marketing. But a year into it, Snoop signed with the company. And I was on his marketing team, no different than you know Enrique Iglesias or any of the other clients. And through just an interaction we had, I got a call like two days later from people running his team. And they were like, he wants you had... That he wants the person from the NFL running his team. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, but I'm not a music manager. And I'm kind of still corporate. Like, I was just getting comfortable wearing jeans to work. And they're like, well, you are now. And I jumped on a plane. To, I'll never forget this. To meet him in Reno, Nevada, where a private plane was waiting. And took him and the whole crew to New York City, where he was doing a press run for Starsky and Hutch, or Soul Plane. It was one of those two movies that came out back to back. I remember Chappelle's show had just started and Snoop was one of the early guests. And I was like, this is insanity. Like, it was just wild. Like, but you were immersed in it. And everything I learned at the NFL, though, I applied to Snoop. And everything I've learned from Snoop, I applied to starting Smack. But I'm still very close to him and his wife, Shantae. We do a lot of business together. But what I'm most proud of was I took him back to Park Avenue to meet then Commissioner Tagliabue and now Commissioner Goodell. And we talked about him wanting to start the Snoop Youth Football League and we got their blessing. And it's almost 20 years old and dozens of kids in the NFL, thousands went on to college. And that meeting was one for the books. If you ever get a chance to interview a commissioner, you should ask him about that one. But uh, it was hilarious going back up there with him. It's like, I can't believe this. Absolutely. It's fascinating. And also just to think he had the foresight to see you or what was in you and understanding that you could help him more so than maybe some other people that were in the room. Mm -hmm. And when I look at him today from the outside, right? And what he's done, not even looking at music or but looking at endorsements and sponsorships. And I mean, like every other commercial he's on, you know, so basically, like, I can't get the, uh, Rona commercials out of my head, but but it is amazing that that really I am sure was a big influence by you. And so you're in this opportunity. All of a sudden, you see what's going on. You're working for this this business. How does it come about then, where eventually 
you decide to go on your own. It's so interesting. I had many people in my corner that would keep telling me, you are such an entrepreneur. You should be doing this on your own. But I was scared. You know, I wasn't raised to, to think that way. I was just so happy to have this great job and work for these great companies. But honestly, what kind of prompted it was I got fired. And when I was looking for what my next home was, I couldn't find the right place. People were trying to define me and put me in a box and say, you should just be in sports. You should just be in reality TV because I just had produced Snoop Dogg's fatherhood or sponsorships or brand partnerships. Like It was this, this, or this. And the 10 years at the league, the 10 years in the management side of things, I was like, absolutely not. I can combine all this, which is what I'd learned over the 20 years, and create this. And I had a friend at the time who was figuring his place in, in life as well. And we just said, let's lean in and do this together and started it from my kitchen table, basically. And then got office space from a dear friend, Jody Gerson, who was kind enough to help give us a shot and just say, start here. And then a year into that, you know, Strahan was retired. I was managing him, but he was in the office all the time and just constantly like in my business or dragging me to meetings. <laughs> I said, I said, why don't you just throw down and just be the third partner in this? We'll change the name of the company and then we'll figure it out together. And, and that's really kind of how it started. And, and here we are. I mean, he wasn't Michael now. He was just not, I shouldn't say just, but he was following, I think, the blueprint that most athletes think they're supposed to do, which is get into sports broadcasting, which is a huge, huge win. I don't want to take anything away from that, but he's a multi-hyphenate. You know, when I met him at the NFL, it was through just different interactions where we were leaning on him to advise us on certain areas, whether it was dusting off the lineman challenge or hosting events for us because Tracy Perlman and I were the only senior executives. And in the 90s, I think the male partners that were there didn't want to hear from a 29-year-old female exec at the NFL. So we were like, straight hand, here's a script, get on stage and take this over. And not only did he do that, he then came into the back room where our, our team was, where we were packing boxes to ship everything back. And he gave a pep talk to the team on how important they were. Like, when you're a leader in the locker room, you can be a leader in real life. And he's done that and executed that flawlessly. Yeah. What what was that like starting your your own business and bringing, obviously, Michael on board as a third partner? And just, as you said, you everyone was telling you you're an entrepreneur, but going from a lot of people have that going from corporate America to starting your own business can be super scary. And we have a lot of listeners too. It's funny. It's entrepreneur media that this podcast is for. But a lot of people are people who are kind of like teetering on like, Hey, I do want to leave corporate America and I, I want to start. Were you really anxious at that time? How hard was it for you? I'm still anxious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a true entrepreneur then. <laughs> There's a reason you're successful. Oh my God. You know, our company motto is hustle like you're broke. And everybody that works at Smack, I always say to their own entrepreneur in their own right. I was anxious back then and I'm anxious today. I mean, whoever thought there'd be a global pandemic coming, right? Where outside of Michael being on Good Morning America, where the news was nonstop, every facet of our business shut down. I had 14 employees and we were just like, oh my God, what do we do? We made it. We didn't get paid and make sure, that, I call them all my kids, to make sure that the kids got paid. We didn't furlough anybody. We didn't pay cut anybody. It was like, we're going to get through this. So it's just, you never stop. But 
I think for any entrepreneur that's listening and trying to figure out, surround yourself with a great team of advisors, whether it's your accountant, business managers, a lawyer. I mean, there were so many things that you just took for granted. Like there's no paper in the copy room and you pick up your phone when you call whoever, the facilities manager. I'm the facilities manager. I'm HR. I'm the handyman. You know, I'm all the things. And even to this day, because our office in LA, we own the building in New York, same thing, that it's not just calling a number and saying, Hey guys, can you fix this? It's like, Oh my God, the HVAC went out. How much is it going to cost? Like, so there's that piece of the business that nobody thinks about. Then add to that, how do we grow the business? How do we make sure we don't have too many clients? How to make sure we have enough clients? How do we build the production company so that we're not just producing shows that our clients are in, which is great when you can do that. But I really think for anybody that has a talent management production company, you're fighting against the fact that people view you as vanity producers until you just roll your sleeves up and you prove to them that you've got what it takes. And also when I was at the NFL and we worked on all the shows that NFL films produced, that was our job. Like You won't see on IMDb all the credits for those shows back then because I worked for the National Football League. That was my job. So it's like, here we go, proving myself all over again. And as an entrepreneur, you're never going to stop proving yourself over and over again. You probably have this art somewhere in your house that I'm going to screw it up a little bit. There's an iceberg and it talks about success and it shows the iceberg. But what it, that's success. Okay. But what it doesn't show is the thousands or millions of years that that glacier has been forming. And that's success, right? It's like everyone just sees now what's popping and thinks like, oh, we rolled into this. What they don't know are the 3 a.m.s that I'm up or like Strahan literally will be on Good Morning America and he's getting texts from me in LA, which means I'm up four or five o'clock. Like, okay, I just had this thought. We need to do this. We need to do this. So it never, ever stops. But let me also preface this by saying, I can't imagine going back to work for anybody. I love what we're doing. I love what we've built. And I, I just wouldn't trade it for anything. Everyone asks me when I'm going to retire. And I'm like, I don't really think ever. It's just, it's too good. Tell me about the business today. And I love the fact that you said that, you know, when you look at it realistically, like you're still anxious. And, and I'm on my third business and created this company that creates podcasts for companies and brands. And, and it's podcasts are obviously big these days. And I still have that anxiety. I still wake up with it. And it's, it's so difficult. How have you been able to handle that and be able to create what you've created today? Is there, what is, is there just a secret to it or is it just picking yourself off the mat every time you get thrown down? Tequila. <laughs> uh, tequila and green tea. No, I you love just... tequila too. I am telling you, that is the drink I have gone like the last year and a half. And I had, uh, there's a good one. They were on the podcast, Sincoro, the owner yes! of Celtics. And Jeannie Buss came on. I guess she's a part owner. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The only person I couldn't get was Michael Jordan, but maybe you can help me with that. So. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a straight hand call. <laughs> that's a straight hand call. But yeah, that I mean, I joke, but I it, it, I mean, I don't drink that much. But you just definitely need to take, take the edge off. Totally, it's important to have an out. For me, it's the ocean, it's the water. Like 
we're lucky enough to live a block off the beach in LA. And just even here at Central Park, like I need the outdoors. I need just, even if it's just walking around the reservoir, it's a calming force on me, maybe because I'm a Pisces. I don't know, but I just, it's the fresh air. It's the, it's the exercise. And it's also okay to, I do these, I could think they're silly, but my team likes them. These CSAs, these con service announcements on my social media. And I did one the other day where it said, when you, you're losing your stuff on, on a situation, don't lose it on a person. And sometimes I'll just be in my office just yelling, not at anybody, but I just have to get it out. Because if you keep it in, that's how the ulcer comes. That's how the things are. And my husband's my best friend. He's a CEO of a software company. So he's just really smart. And I just run things by him all the time. I have not just a great business partner in Strahan, but whether it's Erin Andrews or Tony Gonzalez or Coach Prime, like our clients literally are just also dear friends and super smart. And because we have businesses together, we're partners. It's really good to just always talk things out. And just realize like, it's not the end of the world. There was a silly thing. I remember Dave Wernergrass and I actually, when we did the tailgate party, we'd be at the front gate and people would come up and start screaming at us because they couldn't get into the party. And I'd say, are you dying of cancer? Are you, do you have a fatal disease? No, this is not worth it. And I'm not going to take your shit either. Like, and that's always stuck with me is walk away, just walk away. It's not worth it when people are, are just being demeaning or yelling and screaming for no reason. And and that's what I just try to take a breath. I do Pilates, do yoga, whatever it takes to just clear your head and just know that you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to start over. And I'm not Zen all the time. Don't get me wrong. Especially if you ask anybody when they're on the phone with me and I'm driving, I have bad road rage. But it's like just... And it takes, I think, experience. This is something I wish I could have told my younger self is let it go. Just wish I let more things go and didn't harness them and hold on to them because it really is the only person it's affecting is you and your health and stress comes out in back pain and headaches and and things like that. And it's just not worth it. I love that. And the reason you have road rage is you probably cruised around movie land as a kid (laughs) uh, and honking and yelling at people. Cruising Central Avenue. (laughs) Cruising Central Avenue. But I will say, I, I love that about letting it go and is this worth it? Because I really feel as an entrepreneur and as you know, you can get caught up. And then, especially for me, I wish I was able to have told myself this 20 years ago or 30 years ago, what you just said, where it's not worth it in terms of the stress. If you didn't get that deal, if something fell through, it's just for me and I meditate, I exercise, I actually do Pilates as well, play basketball, do everything just to keep my sanity and as well as some medication, of course, and tequilas, but I'm doing everything. But really what I want to say is that even with all of that, like the thing that I've had trouble with controlling is the stress, the anxiety and the worry. And what you just said is so important for so many entrepreneurs that to take care of yourself first, because those other Mm -hmm. opportunities will come about. And it sounds like since you've been able to do that, you've been even more successful. I use this line a lot. What do they tell you on the plane? They say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before the person who needs help. And that's just every time I'm starting to freak out, I'm just like, okay, center. 
especially when so many people rely on us, right? Whether it's the client, whether it's the production, whether it's the team, you know, the smack team. And I just give that advice out so much that I have to remember it myself a lot of times that I've got to take care of myself. And again, it comes with age and wisdom. It, it really does. It's, it, I don't really know too many young people that, that are this zen. So I, I think it's just, we've got to go through it. And probably if I didn't go through it, I wouldn't know. So it's, it, it's that, you know, it's just like, I don't want to be that person again. Yeah, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. And and tell me, in terms of Smack and in terms of the business now, give me an idea. What what are some of the big things you're working on? And where do you see, where are you headed as a company? We have three silos, the representation management side, the production side, and then the brand incubation business development. So representation, the cool thing now that's happening is some of the leaders are signing clients themselves, which couldn't make me happier. It's like when the birds leave the nest. So Jose Diaz, for example, has signed a couple Latino um, talent, which he's thrilled about to just be leading that charge. And then on our licensing side... And by the way, Jose started as an intern and Corel Chen, who's with us, who oversees our licensing and branding, was an intern and she's responsible now for building out Strahan's clothing lines and skincare and is now working with Aaron Andrews on Where by Aaron Andrews. We've got a Snoop Doggy Dog's pet line. We've got a headscarf line with Snoop and Shante. So that we're, we're really trying to let the leaders lead. Brought in a COO for the first time almost two years ago, which was great because it, it put the structure that we didn't have. Because when you start with two of you, three of you, you're just like, oh my gosh, like we've got to get out of our heads on that. So some of it I know has frustrated the old guard and we need to do more reports and more goals and forecasting. And then on the production side, when the strike ends and everybody gets what they need to get, our goal is to really land a couple scripted, which we were super close with. And I just produced my first feature film and I'm about to jump onto the second one. So it's all exciting, exciting things. And we're talking about, you know, Michael and I own the business outright. And we're talking for the first time about bringing on a strategic investor to help us scale the business because we're lean. We're 20 people. People think we're 200 people, but we just like to keep it lean so that way everybody's always going to be solid. And, and that's nerve wracking, but also exciting at the same time to just see the opportunities because there have been so many times that we've got a show idea, for example, that if we just deficit financed it ourselves and you show the buyers, they're like, oh, I get it now. So that's one of the areas, or whether it's scaling where by Aaron Andrews, you know, if we did our own commercial. I was going to say last year, but it's June. It's this year. Nobody in sports owned Valentine's Day for women. And if you think about it, February is the one time of year. Spring training starting, NFL's ending, basketball, hockey are going on, and we have college. And so Aaron saved Valentine's Day. And it was just something we did ourselves. We self-funded it and we just put it out virally. But just imagine if I had the, the... the change there to the money to just say, okay, let's push this out on a national campaign. So, so those for us, so that's why for the entrepreneurs listening, everyone's always struggling. It doesn't matter like what you see. We just, we, we did what we could do because when you're just a business, that's only literally we launched at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> so the fact that we're still going and going strong just makes us super happy, but to have access to, I think places that we haven't before is one of the main things we're focusing on. Yeah, that that's great advice. Just you find and what I love about this podcast and, and having interviews with people like yourself 
you know, a lot of people and, and what I find, they look at you or they look at other people who've been really successful and think it's this hockey stick growth and just everything was easy. And I will tell you from the conversations I've had with the founder of Lululemon, they almost went bankrupt five times. Like who knew that, right? You walk right. by customers now, similar situations, similar types of conversations. And I always love hearing about that as an entrepreneur, because even today with my business and and having had successful businesses and and selling them, I still get anxious. I still get worried. And when you hear these incredibly successful people like just talk about going through those challenges and, and making it, to me, that is just inspiring. And I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people today with your story. And I just you know, want to wrap up a a couple of questions. As a female, as a woman coming from the NFL, right? And I can only imagine during those days what things were like. And and even you still see it and we still see it. Like you had a strong, positive role model in your mom, which was great. And, you know, it's unfortunate when you talk about her and like what talk about a lot of women from that generation, I think of my mom too, and just what they could have done, what they could have become. But for you, how tough were those early challenges? And what is it like today? Are you, do you still face a lot of that or some of that even after, let's say, the last five years and maybe changes that supposedly happened? I don't know if they did. It's getting better it's not done. I mean, there's still, there's a saying that a lot of us use. If there's no seat for you at the table, build your own damn table. So I started building my own table. There's still misogyny that I face all the time. It's unfortunate. But one of the reasons that I started coming on podcasts like yours or or being more public facing was if I can't be the agent of change for the generations coming behind me, then I failed, right? I failed as a leader. I failed as a woman. And I am not a victim blamer, like any of that, like shit happens, learn from it and move on. But this up and coming generation should not have to face the obstacles that get placed still to this day. And I want to see more women in sports, more women doing production, more women at the highest level. And again, there's nothing wrong with starting at the bottom. I did, right? And I just, that's something I want to also clarify. It doesn't mean you get out of college and you just go and take the boss's job. Like you got to earn your way. So all I want to see happen is if People can earn their way. It doesn't matter their gender, their race, their color, like their religious beliefs, like anything like that. Like as long as you can earn your spot, you should have a chance to, at taking it. And that's why I'm here and want to thank you for having me. But it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And there are changes happening, but just not fast enough. Yeah. Well, Constance, it's great to have you on the program and the program. I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't even bat an eye. I'm like, that's the program. <laughs> My dad used to call like the TV show, the turn the program <laughs> off. Anyway, it was great having you on and really inspiring what you've built. And, and you could tell in terms of things, obviously you're partnered with Michael Strahan. But if you look back and I look back and think of your career, 
telling me the story about Snoop saying, I want this person running my business. Well, you really understand what you're bringing to the table, what you've brought to the table. And I wish you nothing but more success. And, and I'm sure that'll happen. And I'm sure you guys will be doing some more incredible things. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you for having me on the So Grab Me at Carlos in Yonkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to go to, uh, is, is six, is, what's the diner? Uh, seven stars. Uh, seven, seven stars. Seven stars. I wonder, still there. Hey, that's so funny. If, if there's so seven stars and now Oakley, then it became Charles Oakley's car wash. It used to be a regular, just a car oh wash. Gosh, yeah. Gosh, that's right. Pizzeria oh, wow. up. San Martino, was it called? So good. Oh, yeah. I waitressed at Pizza Embro. Did you ever go Oh, there? my God. You know how many times I got kicked out of that place? Because <laughs> we, we were like 13-year-old kids. And oh, yeah. What were the two guys? Oh, my God. The brothers. Paul. Uh, Paul. One passed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Pizza One was Embro. like kind of lean. One was a little yes. on the heavier side. Yeah. Oh I was a terrible waitress. I couldn't carry those trays. They were too big for me. So I would just tip the runners extra at the end of the night. Like, you got to carry these for me. I remember they had the little train. Like, the, it was shaped. Loved the train. If you got to waitress, if that was your section, you were going to crush it. You were psyched. That was oh, awesome. Yeah. And you had Child World right next door. Anyway, it was, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was good talking to you about uh, those days. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's good to see a girl from Yonkers doing so well. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.